You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. everybody welcome to the paranormal portal podcast i'm your host brent thomas uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here bringing these shows to you every week so a uh, special thank you to all of you out there who are tuning in and listening and uh, thank you for all your comments and emails that i get uh, both on social media and to the email account uh, it's just fantastic to hear from you guys if you've got an encounter of your own and would want to be a guest on the show, please feel free to email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Or if you just want to send me your encounter via email, you can do that as well. And that brings us to the topic of today's show, which is listener emails. These are all encounters that were sent into the show, uh, detailing experiences that several of you out there have had. And a special thank you to you all who have sent in these encounters today. It's absolutely wonderful to get these, and thank you so much for contributing to the content of the show. But I hope you guys are all ready, because it's about to get spooky. All right, to get started here, we're going to start with a, an email that I received from a listener named Joseph. And Joseph says, Brent, I'm very curious of some things I experienced when I was around 16 years old. I've had partial and full out-of-body experiences since I was 14 years old. I'm 38 now. First one I haven't been able to figure out is I was laying in bed and I started hearing the whoosh or high-pitched ringing I hear before having an out-of-body experience. I felt something on my bed had sat down next to me. In this early stage of astral projection, I was still in control of my body and paralysis had not yet completely set in. I mustered enough strength to look down, and nothing physical was there, but I could still feel the pressure on the bed. I've felt this before many times, but this time it was somehow different. I wasn't scared, as I probably should have been, so I lay back down and allow the buzzing in my ears to intensify, and then I feel whatever was on the bed move closer to me and put its hands on my back. And I've encountered many astral beings, but this one had an odd smell. Not a bad smell, just more of a human musty smell. Hard to describe, but I felt this was a human traveler. I can't tell you if what I experienced was a dream or not, but I was perfectly aware I was lying in bed at the time. This being started to speak to me telepathically and tells me I looked like some football player from the Dallas Cowboys and even said the name, but my disinterest in football is probably why I don't remember what he said. We went on for what seemed like hours and hours, and finally I asked his name. I'm assuming male because that was the voice I heard, and he said, Les Martin. Shortly after he left, this, shortly after he left, sorry. This went on for weeks, and I, I could tell it was him by the smell. Like I said, I don't know if this is a real person or not, but it was one of the many experiences I've had that was so powerful. It shaped me and made me a more spiritual person. 
Second experience, and this may be something one or more listeners of the podcast might be able to identify with, or at least know something about. So instead of just telling you my full-on experience, I will describe what happened, but some details I will leave to whomever hears about it to fill in the blanks. I feel this is a real place, non-physical, but I went there once or twice. I was experiencing an out-of-body moment, and something was there with me. It was a little creature, and I grabbed it, and it took me somewhere. This place was huge, but I stood there facing three what appeared to be men in robes, and on my left, a huge gate-slash-intricately carved door on the right. I was across from them, separated by a waterway about two feet wide that was crossing the path. Columns were around the beings in robes, and they just stood there and stared at me. I knew they wanted me to cross the water to them, but as soon as I stepped in the water, I was back in my bed, wide awake. This all may be a dream of sorts, but it has stuck with me for many, many years and continues to fuel my search for answers. Thank you for taking the time to read this, as I have never shared these experiences with anyone, but they are a part of me. Love and Light, Joseph from Arizona. Yeah, out-of-body experiences are, are really incredible, and I, I'm absolutely convinced it's a very real phenomenon. I think that we are multidimensional beings, and I've, I've long said that I think our, the fact that we dream is, is a version of us existing in some other dimensional reality. I, I don't, don't know that to be true, but it's just intuitively. And I think that these experiences, especially out-of-body experiences, are incredibly profound and uh, demonstrate our multidimensional reality. But, uh, you know, it's up to all of you out there. I'm not sure how everyone feels, but that's my two cents on it. And I wish I could understand more about uh, the men in robes and that whole setting. But it sounds like, you know, could be guides, could be something else for all I know. But what a, what a really bizarre experience. Next, we're going to go to an email that was sent by an individual named Roman, who writes, Hey Brent, big fan of the show. I listen faithfully and have turned my brother onto your show as well. He also loves it. I find myself waking up with your podcast intro song stuck in my head, which I find hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for those kind words. I appreciate it. Here's one of my experiences, and I have many others, and I plan to send them to you in the future, but here is one of my personal and earliest experiences with what I know was some kind of ghost slash apparition. Thank you for your consideration. I appreciate you and what you do with the show. Well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate you being out there listening and submitting your story. Uh, it's titled Pioneer Woman Apparition. When I was about six or seven, my father lived in a rental home in Holiday, Utah, and my twin brother and I shared a room there. The house was a one-level brick rambler home and was built sometime in the 80s. It was not nice or glamorous, but it definitely had a creepy vibe. I remember one time our cousin, Sean, came over for a sleepover. and That night, we played video games, watched movies, and had some junk food. The typical 90s kid get-together. Well, somewhere in the middle of the night, my cousin said that he was awoken by the TV turning on by itself. The screen was not on a channel, just static, which freaked him out. He decided to hurry and turn it off. And once he did, it was fine for a few minutes, and then it would happen yet again. He eventually just ignored it and pulled the covers over his head. My twin brother and I shared a small room with two twin beds. My bed was on one wall, and his was a caddy corner to mine along another wall. Basically, if I, if I were to wake up at any time in the night, I would be able to see his entire bed from my point of view. This night, I woke up for no reason at all, um, only to turn over and look in the direction of my brother sleeping. There at the foot of his bed was a woman sitting there. She was not looking at me. Instead, she was pulling the covers back over his feet, I guess to keep them warm. Well, after about six, 15 seconds or so, she turned and looked directly at me. She was an older, thin-looking woman. and I would put her age at around the 60s or 70s, if I were to guess. Her face was gaunt. Her hair was silvery, gray, and long. But it was pulled back in a tight bun. 
She had very pointy features, including her nose, her cheekbones, and her chin. I do not recall what color her eyes were, but she was wearing what appeared to be grayish-blue-colored Pioneer-era dress. I could tell she was a ghost because she was slightly transparent. She also appeared to be lit differently than the lighting in the room, if that makes sense. Also, the only woman who lived in the house was my stepmother, and this definitely was not her. I was terrified, even though I did not think she meant me or my brother any harm. In a moment of panic, I pulled the covers over my head and began to pray. After a few seconds, I nervously lowered the covers to peek in at that direction, but she was gone. My brother was sleeping during the entire thing, so he had no clue at all. My brother was also a lot more scared about things than me, so I decided not to mention it at all. Now fast forward to my 20s. I was at my dad's new place, and we were hanging out for a backyard barbecue. Well, somehow the conversation went to the paranormal, and I began to tell him the story of the pioneer woman for the first time. After relaying my story, my dad's skin looked white as a sheet. His eyes opened wide, and he was silent for a few seconds. He appeared shocked and a little freaked out. After a second or two, he said to me, You saw her too? He then told me that he was around seven or eight. He had seen this same apparition on a few occasions, but he did not go into details of those encounters. We both concluded that she must be a relative from the pioneer era that watches over some of the kids in the family line. I'm a little worried, but waiting for the day my son tells me about his encounter. My son is only five years old now. If he's going to have an experience with the pioneer woman, it will likely be between the ages of six and eight. I very much think that we have ancestors that look over us, and maybe sometimes they do manifest uh, in some degree or another, and maybe they become an apparition and tuck us in or whatever. I think I don't think that that's a, a bad thing at all. In fact, I think that's really sweet and, and actually beautiful. Now, it may be somebody that's just not at all related, and it's just some earthbound spirit that's, you know, sticking around for whatever reason, but is a very maternal and caring soul. Uh, that's certainly possible, but, you know, for whatever reasons, and, and nobody can know, um, except, I guess, Roman. I'm, if that's what he feels, then that's probably a pretty good, a pretty good guess. So, very cool. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. Hey guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal Podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in now the beauty of roman submitting emails is that he sent me a second one and we're going to read that one now and this is uh schofield utah ghostly hands on the tent Every summer throughout my youth, we would go to a summer camp family reunion gathering up in Schofield, Utah. Schofield is a tiny mountain town with a population of about 23 full-time residents. Wow, that's tiny. Schofield is also the infamous location of one of the worst mine disasters to happen in the country. 
Back in 1900 in the canyon at Schofield, there was a mine called the Winter Quarters Mine. On May 1st of 1900, there was an explosion that was caused by black powder. The entire mine exploded, caved in, and everyone inside perished. Oh my God. Sadly, the 200 plus men who died left women without husbands, children without fathers, and a terrible imprint on the land. This particular summer, my cousin Sean, my brother Jaron, and I were there for the fourth quarter of July and the family reunion that was going on. We were also really into ghost hunting, and this was definitely the place to hunt for ghosts. Being a bunch of crazy teenagers, we decided to break into the old school in town. The school had a main floor, a basement, and a staircase that went up to the principal's office. It was also the temporary holding place for many of the charred bodies found in the mine during the time of the disaster. Well, we got in there, and it was creepy. The air felt really heavy, and the sound felt muffled, almost like we were inside a portal. I can appreciate that. <laughs> After investigating the school, which yielded a few interesting experiences and evidence, the night was getting late. During this reunion, being strapping teenagers, we were sleeping in tents on the lawn since the cabin rooms were all full inside. Around 2 or 3 a.m. that night, my cousin, brother, and I were awoken by loud shaking and flapping noise. Realizing the sound was too violent to be wind, we started looking around the tent. Soon we realized the sound was on the walls of the tent, shaking loudly and intensely. Upon closer inspection, you could see the imprint of children-sized hands on all of the tent walls. There were at least six pair of children hands smothering the tent. You could also hear some children giggles while the hands continued to push in and out on the tent walls. All of us were frozen stiff. I looked at my brother and my cousin and they were staring silently back at me with wide open eyes. The violent shaking happened for what felt like 10 to 15 minutes. There were some kids who were at the reunion, but none of them were this small, and none of them would be up at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning playing a trick on us. The other really weird part of this memory that sticks out with me is that there was a street lamp along the road that bordered this cabin house. Our tents were underneath the light of the street lamp, Considering this, you would normally be able to see shadows of the kids cast upon the tent walls if you follow the rules of science. Unfortunately, this was not the case. No shadows, no outlines of any bodies outside of our tent. Only disembodied hands. And I think we all eventually passed out or fell back asleep out of pure fear. The next morning, we all confirmed what had happened to us, and our stories were identical. I believe these were the ghostly children we picked up from the school, but I can't know for sure. Anyway, hope you like this story. I have other experiences that I will plan on writing to you in the future. I also plan to make my way as close to Skinwalker Ranch this spring or summer. If, you, if anything happens out and around there, I will be sure to let you know. Thank you and continue the great work on the Paranormal Portal podcast. Roman. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, those those apparitions pressing on the wall is really something. That's got to be uh, of the tent, of course. Um, that would be really unnerving. That would be uh, pretty frightening, especially since there were no shadows cast. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it. I suppose that, you know, I don't know. I often, I often wrestle with this personally. It's like, how can there be children's spirits wandering around? And, and maybe it's some kind of imprint. Maybe it's something else. It just seems so bizarre to me that these, you know, children are, are these pure, you know, beautiful beings for the most part. I mean, sure, there's a little, little turd sometimes that are kids, but for the most part, kids are innocent and playful and they just try to have a happy life. Um, but could there be uh, these malevolent little spirits or, or trickster kind of spirits hanging around? I guess if they're earthbound for whatever reason, uh, they're going to want to do something. And if they can truly see us and interact with us, they probably would. In fact, I think children's spirits would probably more be more likely to do that than adult spirits. So, um, but for whatever reason, I, I think that children just love attention. <laughs> so if there are the spirits, they, they could be looking for the attention as well. But 
that's a pretty frightening story. I'm glad you guys made it out of there okay. With maybe a few mental scars, but um, yeah, he did send me a picture also of what may very well be uh, a child's apparition looking out from one of the school windows when they took a picture. So thank you, Roman, for both stories and the photograph as well. Um, it's unfortunately, since the podcast is audio only, there's really no way for me to share it. But uh, it's definitely uh, something that punctuates the tale that he just shared. Next up, we got a submission from uh, Akin from Turkey. It says, greetings from Ankara, Turkey. That's phenomenal. I love hearing from listeners all around the world. This is great. I love your podcast and try to listen to every episode. I describe myself as a researcher in the paranormal in my capacity and having not much psychic ability. I had a very vivid and detailed memories of my life starting from my birth and had witnessed enough paranormal experiences, especially after my father's death in 2012. Those paranormal experiences were generally peaceful and resemble much of the ones that you have been portraying in your podcast episodes, but... The one I would explain in detail here is a very unique one and has got extraordinary features, though it was also a comforting and peaceful experience. Well, that's good. Uh, he continues, it was one of, our uh, one of our regular journeys to Europe, but this time we'd preferred a late period of the year, such as October, to avoid touristy crowds and enjoy the tranquility. I made an early reservation to a hotel, Hotel Mediterraneo, in a small seaside town called Porto Cicerio, at the Lecce province in southern Italy. My wife and I planned to spend five days in Lecce province and then go to Amalfi Coast for a couple of more days to explore the beauties of this popular holiday destination. As the timing of our journey was after the chaotic tourism season in Italy, the hotel we checked in and the touristic town center were very quiet. Our plan was to set out early in the morning and pay visits to surrounding touristic destinations around the Lecce region on a daily basis and return late at night to our hotel. We started the day early in the morning and traveled as much as we could with our rental car. The breakfast was served in the restaurant section of the hotel, and I would have to say that it was just an amazing combination of breakfast food, including fresh chocolate croissants and real Italian coffee prepared at a barista section just before the entrance of the restaurant room. The only downside of the breakfast was the hot spring cooker egg boiling machine, which you had to wait a couple of minutes and serve your own stuff. The hotel was so empty that the only person we met at the breakfast was a single old man in his early 70s. During the second day of our stay, we were able to chat for a little bit with this old man and learned that he was from England, and the purpose of his stay was similar with ours, to visit and explore the touristic attractions of the Lecce region. It was an interesting coincidence to have this British man accompany us during the breakfast time every morning, but considering that he also had a busy daily travel schedule to fulfill, it was understandable to a certain degree for this coincidence. It was the morning of our fourth day at the hotel, and together with my wife, we again started our day with a delicious Italian breakfast, and we were the only ones in the restaurant section. To our luck, this time, we didn't have to wait for our boiled eggs at the machine, since two boiled eggs were already waiting in the boiling tank. After we had collected the food from the buffet, I went outside the restaurant to the bistro section to get a cup of coffee. While waiting for the coffee to be prepared at the bistro at the far opposite side of the corridor, I saw the old British man approaching towards me in the hallway. To my surprise, this time he was not alone, and a lady was walking next to him. First, I thought she was somebody staying at the hotel, and she would walk outside through the main entrance of the hotel or come join us for breakfast. But the lady was walking so close to him that they just looked like a couple from an outsider's eyes. As far as I know, the British man was staying alone, and we knew no one around who was familiar with him to walk side by side as, as if they had some sort of companionship. I could not hold myself, and to satisfy my curiosity, I again turned my head towards them and checked whether the lady had chosen the exit door or, or separated from the British man. The answer is no. 
They kept walking together and almost approaching the place where I was waiting for the coffee. I looked at the corner of my eye to the lady to understand more about her attributes. She was tall, although not as much as the British man, and looked like a similar age of him. I generally do not describe myself as a curious man, and most of the time I don't even pay any attention to the people around me. But in this occasion, I was not able to restrain my interest with the unknown urge. Maybe the source of my curiosity was due to the conflicting portrait of the old British man who I had accepted as traveling alone, and at that very moment had a companion, although he was acting indifferent to her. That led me to look at the couple one last time after they passed behind me to see whether they would enter the restaurant together, and yes, they did enter side by side again. Now that I was 100% sure of their companionship, I subsided my curiosity and waited a little more time for my coffee to be ready, and then returned back to my table. Maybe it was because I blamed myself for the excessive curiosity which led to feeling of guilt. I did not turn my eyes to the British man inside the restaurant anymore, and after we finished our breakfast, I noticed that my wife and I were the last customers leaving the room. I returned to my normal self. The British man nor his companion were not any of my concerns during the whole day, until my wife mentioned about her embarrassment concerning an event related to the breakfast time. She started to explain. You recall the two boiled eggs we found ready this morning? Well, turns out they belonged to the British man. He came to look for them in the boiling machine later. She continued to explain he had put them in the boiling tank and left the room before we had entered the restaurant for breakfast. Anyway, he just laughed and made fun of this occasion after learning that we had taken his eggs. I kept my indifference after learning about the incident that my wife explained, and I just made a comment. The two eggs, yes. If they are a couple, they needed two eggs. Just as I finished my comment, my wife turned to me with a weird expression on her face and responded, What are you talking about? What couple? I said only the British man, or I saw only the British man. At that moment, I felt obligated to respond with a more detailed explanation and told her. You know, we had thought that he was a lonely customer staying at the hotel, but as you saw this morning, at the breakfast time, he was with a companion and they entered the room together. As soon as I had made my explanation, my wife's voice changed and responded to me, No, you must be joking. I saw the moment the British man entered the room and he was all alone and had his breakfast unaccompanied at his table. The eggs belonged to him and he ate them alone. I did not make a comment or an objection anymore. The situation had become clear from that moment on. The incident turned into a very outstanding paranormal experience for me. What is left from my perspective was to confront the British man about the incident and ask for his verification. It was the fifth and last day of our stay at the hotel, and as usual, we started our day with the breakfast, and as you may guess, together with the British man again. This time we chatted more about his purpose and travel, and furthermore about his future plans in Italy. We learned that his wife passed away a couple of years ago, and he decided to settle in a small town called Ursina in the southern Italy to spend the rest of his retirement period. From the starting moments of our chat, I had the intention of bringing up the day before and ask him about the occurrence that I witnessed. But somehow, partly due to my shyness, and on the other hand, the potential reaction of him to such a weird hypothesis, kept me from being straightforward. I couldn't muster the courage to ask him the magic question. After breakfast, we went back to our room and packed our luggage, completed the checkout procedure at the front desk, and we went to our car. I would not call it as to my surprise, but rather would use the word as the fate plays out its scenario. Again, we ran into the old British man at the parking lot before leaving the hotel. This time I wouldn't let it go. Strongly determined, I approached him and asked him about his thoughts regarding the incident I witnessed yesterday. And I did. He listened to the detailed explanation of the occurrences without interruption to the end and showed no sign of surprise or disbelief. After I finished my story and asked him whether he had seen anyone walking beside him at the hallway of the breakfast room, he, he said, quote, Definitely not. There was no one walking beside me along the hallway. 
and he continued the conversation by asking me a question. The lady you saw beside me, was she tall or short? To which I responded, she was quite tall. And then he answered, my wife was short in height. If she was tall, she must have been my mother. She had a habit of following me wherever I went when she was alive. Aww. I was relieved by his clarification, but he kept the conversation going, and he continued to explain an incident that he had happened a couple of years ago. The incident he explained was as follows. I was devastated as a result of so many things that had gone wrong and found myself at the Tower Bridge in London. I walked through the bridge, and at some point I stopped and came closer to the side of the safety fence and started looking down the river. I was mentally ruined, but did not have any intention of committing suicide, such as jumping to the river from the bridge. While I was gazing inattentively the flowing of the river, suddenly I felt the hand of someone on my shoulder shaking me softly as if the intention was to subside my unrest and comfort me. As I abruptly turned my head to see who this, this person that touched my shoulder, astonishingly, I saw nobody behind me, and moreover, there were no bypassers around me. At this moment, I understood that I was not alone through my life adventure, especially at difficult times, and was being watched over by unseen beings. After a couple of minutes of chatting, we said goodbye to each other and departed the hotel. While traveling to our second destination, I discussed together with my wife about the experience and tried to clarify the reasons under the mystical real-life story. It was clear that the target of the whole co coincidence of events were the old British man, and the reason behind the whole story was to convey a clear message that he was not alone in his new adventure of starting a new life in Italy. From my point of view, it would not have been possible to convey this message to the British man without my presence. Only a person who is an expert in the paranormal field could understand and deliver the message to a, the targeted individual. It was an extraordinary and peaceful experience for me and a comforting one for the British man. I learned throughout my life journey that the difference between a believer and a skeptic is personal experience. American author Emma Bull wrote, Coincidence is the word we use when we can't see the layers and levers and pulleys, rather. Inside the extraordinary experience that I witnessed and tried to explain to you, I was able to see the unseen with the help of a divine organization from the other side. Just to give a clear comforting message to an old man who is feeling lonely in life. I hope my story will be an inspiring one for your listeners as well. Before I conclude, I want to give another detail about my story. After we had finished the second leg of our journey in Amalfi Coast and headed to Bari Airport for our return flight back to home, we passed through the town of Ir Irsina, a place where the British man would settle for the rest of his life. We had not planned to go through Irsina on purpose beforehand. This town was just a natural milestone on our route to, the beat to reach Bari but it looked like that legacy of the British man was still haunting us. Best of luck on your amazing show. Keep in touch the, or keep touching the hearts of your listeners. Well, thank you. And, and by all means, you helped me touch those very people uh, with your incredible story. Thank you, Akin. I appreciate it. And thank you for contributing to our show. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal podcast. Buckle up, we're going in.
Next and probably last for tonight's show is uh, a submission from Kathy. And this one deals with premonitions and precognition. And I think it's, it's pretty profound because I think most of us have had some experience or another throughout the course of our lives where we've felt something coming and sure enough, then it came or, or foresaw it coming. And so I, I really like this story and I'm really pleased to present this now. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. And it's again from Kathy and she writes, premonition or precognition? Question mark. It's not an unusual thing that I have both premonitions and precognitions. The short definitions of these would be that a premonition is a strong feeling that something is going to happen. A precognition is an ability to see events in the future. I don't know which one to choose to define the following story. I believe it would fall into both categories. Our family, my husband, the kids, and I were boarding a plane to Boston on our way to Martha's Vineyard. This was an annual event that required a lot of baggage, both check-in and carry-on. As one might imagine, having three children and flying requires a lot of logistics. Richard was doing a champion job getting uh, their various carry-ons stowed and the kids in their designated seats. I was bringing up the rear when suddenly I'm struck with a vision. I was standing there in the middle of the aisle, looking off into space with that look, as Richard describes it, when I get visions. I was holding up the lion, and if you've ever flown, you don't want to be that guy that holds everyone up. But there I was, unable to move, watching a movie in my head. Richard turns around and notices that I'm way up in the front of the plane, and everyone around me is staring at me. And he hurries down the aisle and grabs my arm and says, What? What is it? I'm watching intently and I say to him, it's a plane crash. It's over the water and there's a great big media blitz. And then I snapped out of it. He said, is it us? And I realized that what I said and looked around at the seated passengers staring at me with expectation, looking as if something significant just took place or I'm this crazy lady playing a sick joke. I smiled an apologetic smile and looked at Richard and said, no, I heard a few sighs from the seats and a lot of frustrated impatience from those behind me. When we got settled before we took off, I called my friend Janet to tell her what I just saw. The vision was so powerful and vivid, I felt compelled to have it documented by another person other than family. I told Janet to write it down and date it. We were staying in a house on Blacksmith Valley Road in the township of Chilmark, Massachusetts, with a view of the Atlantic and Squibnocket Pond, which is up island on Martha's Vineyard. Richard's mother and brother's family were also there, and this area of houses has its own de designated private beach portion of the South Beach on the Atlantic, which was about a quarter mile down a trail from our house. The water was calm for the three days we enjoyed the beach and we were starting to relax from our hectic life back in Dallas. After long days at the beach, we would enjoy the catch of the day from Poole's Fish Market in Menemsha. Richard's family has generations-long friendship with the Poole family, so we always got off the boat selection in the back of the store. Our routine became beach, dinner, then sit out under the stars with a drink of choice. The kids were usually by that time crashed on the couch or a blanket under the stars, and we didn't have TV and their electronics were left at home. One night as we were sitting under the stars, we heard a faraway boom and then felt the ground shake. We all looked at each other and wondered what the heck that was. The clouds were rolling in, but, the, but at that time it wasn't thick enough to go inside yet, but getting pretty close. We threw out ideas as to what could have sounded and shaken the ground like that, and, and I said, well, it wasn't bombing at no man's land, but it sounded like it and felt like it, but no man's land is right there. From our house, one could see the island in the Atlantic. No man's land is a small, uninhabited island about three miles off the southwest corner of Martha's Vineyard that is owned by the Navy and was used as a practice bombing range. The Navy shut down these operations about three years before that year's trip, but it had been a regular occurrence since 1943, so the islanders were used to it. When I started going to Martha's Vineyard, Richard's family owned a place on the middle of the island in the township of West Tisbury, off of Middle Road. The farm, as it was referred, would have been about seven miles from no man's land, and the bombing sounded like a faint boom, and the shake was probably 
a 2.0 on the Richter scale at best. The next morning, my sister-in-law and I went up to Allie's General Store to get coffee and donuts for the group, which is always a treat. Madge decided to stay in the car because the parking lot was full, and she would drive around while I popped in real quick. While I was in line to pay, I noticed everyone around the store were in little groups of people with serious looks on their faces and whispering and holding their hands over their mouths in shock. I asked the person beside me what was going on. She looked at me with a shock, shocked and surprised look and said, You haven't heard? John John's plane went down last night. I'm getting chills just writing this. I felt my world go upside down and I quickly paid and got to the car as soon as I could. And Mad said, oh my God, Kathy, what happened? You're as white as a sheet. Drive, just drive, I said, as I rocked back and forth with my hands wrapped around my stomach. I then put my head between my legs to try and stave off the whiteout thing that was coming. What the hell is wrong with you, she said as she pulled out of the parking lot. John John's plane went missing last night. Remember the boom? I couldn't finish the sentence because I knew exactly what happened. I saw it as I boarded the plane for Boston. I felt nauseous, but managed to keep it together enough to call Janet. The reception is really bad in some parts of the island, and the call kept dropping. Madge just stared at the road in shocked silence and drove us back to the house. By the time we got there, the helicopters were hovering above our house and the other houses in the valley. No one knew what was going on, and when we drove up, they told us the helicopters had been there about 20 minutes. Madge had to tell them what we'd heard at Ellie's because I was on the phone with Janet. Janet was telling me what was happening on the news, and I was becoming more and more nauseous and sat down beside the car because my legs just lost all their strength. She was saying over and over what I told her to write down, and I just couldn't hear anymore, and I told her I had to go. After the shock started to wear off, we were all in the house sitting in silence, except for the helicopter noise above. Richard got up and said, there must be a TV somewhere in this house, and started looking in all the cabinets and closets, and soon all the kids were involved in the search. They did find a tiny set in a cabinet that was so old we were afraid it wouldn't work. When it came on, of course, this was the only thing on any channel, which lasted the rest of our stay on the island. We were glued to every bit of information we could get. It was strange seeing on the national news the view from our house. The kids started getting restless, so Richard's mother took them to the beach. They arrived back shortly after because the beach was closed. It was that section of South Beach where they found the pill bottles, so they had to secure the area. Luckily, we knew a lot of people and got keys to other beaches so the kids could continue to enjoy their vacation. The whole island was in shock, people crying everywhere we went. The Kennedy family were like family to the islanders, full and part-timers. The sense of loss was greatly felt. After a couple of days of seeing that the Coast Guard and search and rescue teams were not finding anything, I suggested we go to the Edgartown police station and tell them what we heard. I just remembered that it felt and sounded like the bombing at No Man's Land, uh, did when we were at the farm, and knowing how far that was may help the search. So Madge and I f went figuring it couldn't hurt. In my experience of premonitions and precognitions, I have had many instances that have helped to guide my path in this life. I've had a few that saved lives, others that told me what to expect. But the ones that just tell or show me something that there is little or nothing I can do anything about have always puzzled me. Why was I given that information? I've been puzzling about this since that morning at Allie's. The vision was so specific. A plane crash over the water and a great big media blitz. The very thing we were witnessing unfold. Why did I get that download? I have no special ties to the Kennedys and I've never met any of them. I just vacationed every year on the same island, so... So what were those powers that be doing, giving me this information? What was I supposed to do with it? It may be obvious through the telling of this story, but for the, me at the time, I was baffled. And really for a long time after the incident. I was actually getting mad at God for giving me these gifts, and then not giving me a purpose for having them. I went for years not accepting information or downloads, 
as I like to call them, telling God, no, you'll have to give this to someone else. I'm not going through that again. That was a sick joke and I don't trust you, so you shouldn't trust me with anything important. It didn't work though. I still continue receiving both premonitions and precognitions in boatloads, no matter how loud my tantrum is. It was years later, probably on one of the anniversaries of the crash, that it dawned on me why I was given the information. I can't prove it, but in all the reports I researched after my light bulb moments, I never came across a statement that gave the approximate mileage of where to look for the wreckage. Because at that point, Madge and I went to the police, they hadn't found anything except what had washed ashore. The Edgartown police told us to write a statement, and in my statements, I gave the estimation of seven miles off the coast of South Beach in line with Blacksmith Valley. Based on how it sounded and felt, and explained about our distance from no man's land to the farm and the sound and the feel when they bombed. They took my statement, Mads didn't give one, and said thank you, and that was it. We felt kind of silly at the time, but I thought, what the heck, we, I've done my civic duty. I felt a burden lift, but never put two and two together until years later. When they found the wreckage seven miles off the coast of South Beach, I just remember saying, huh, that's what I put in my report to the police, and never gave it another thought until I guess God got frustrated with my years of whining about why me and the precognition visions and allowed the connection of the timing and the finding of John Jr.'s plane to the report that I filed to show, to show me why I was given that specific information. It was within eight hours of my report that they found the plane, approximately seven miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. I don't know if it was my report, and there is really no way I could know, but it would take about that long for someone to read the report, figure I had a good source of reference for what I heard and felt, radio the Coast Guard, and change the search path. I like to think I was oblivious to this connection of time for all those years so I could mature and not think I was the reason they found the plane because I have special powers. And I probably would have back then. Then I would be useless and probably have my gifts shut down due to ego. Maybe I did help. Maybe I didn't. But it makes for a good story to tell whomever will listen and a good lesson for me to settle in and accept that I'm just a conduit and it doesn't matter if I know why or have a purpose for what I receive, I am just supposed to act when the Spirit moves me, which is a hard lesson to learn. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, for that story. I really appreciate it, and it's that's really something, wow, to be right there when that happened. Um, you know, it's, I remember when that, when that occurred and, and how the entire nation was affected by that. I mean, that was John F. Kennedy's son, and, and when, when he when he crashed that plane or whatever happened. And I don't pretend to know, but for whatever reason, his plane crashed. I mean, that was like, we all felt it. I think we all felt it because that was the legacy of the Kennedy family. That John Jr. was, you know, a person of uh, a lot of promise and hope for, you know, the next generation. And it's such a heartbreaker that he never lived long enough to see that vision through. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a political person, so I, you know, I, I, I don't really have much opinion either way. And what opinions I do have, I keep to myself. But, uh, you know, losing somebody, anyone for that matter, is certainly a tragedy. And um, I, I would like to think that you were instrumental in helping them find that wreckage as well, because I can't imagine the pain and anguish the family and the nation felt, you know, not having that closure. So... Thank you so much for that. And I hope your visions and precognitions and premonitions are continuing to help other people. And thank you so much for sharing that with us here on the show. So that's about going to wrap it up, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed the journey tonight. Uh, thank you so much for being here, as always. It's always a great pleasure to do the Paranormal Portal, and it's even a greater pleasure knowing there are so many of you out there listening uh, remember to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormal portal radio. Uh, check out our YouTube, youtube.com slash paranormal portal. And you can find over 900, uh, episodes that we streamed live 
uh, in that playlist. And, and just, you know, fair warning, some of the old ones, well, a lot of the old ones are, are kind of, you know, you got to take them or leave them. But it's certainly a, a comprehensive body of work that we've uh, worked at for years and years. And uh, if you want to check those out, that would be greatly appreciated. If you do subscribe and like the videos, that would help up a bunch too. So thank you all. Um, what else is there? I guess we got Instagram. We've got Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. So if you'd like to follow the Twitter, please do that as well. And uh, again, if any of you have stories that you'd like to share, or if you'd be interested in being a guest on the show, email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. So uh, all I can say in closing, folks, from all of us here on the Paranormal Portal, love you all. Be good. Be kind. Be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day, and remember to laugh as much as you can. Good night, everybody. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormalportalradio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at paranormalportal, P-O-R-T-L, and uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. We got hundreds of shows in our uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the paranormal portal. So I hope you'll check it uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com/slash/paranormalportal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So uh, stay tuned. But we love you all. Be good. Be kind. Be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody.